Before we even get into uh, anything about the show, I want to make sure I go ahead and, and start off with a warning that this show will contain spoilers for No Time to Die. So if you were concerned in any way, shape, fashion, or form about hearing something about the latest Bond film and you haven't seen it, turn off your, your podcast now. Don't even tempt fate. That said, I'll try to remember to repeat the spoiler warning before we jump into the actual topic, uh, because we have a couple of quick small items to to just mention before that. One, I found it interesting that federal prosecutors are looking at the 2020 uh, fake electoral certificates that a handful of Uh, Republican groups in states met and got together to send to uh, the the ratification of the results. Did you see anything about that? No, but it just, it sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I am, I'm not looking too closely. I'm just going to kind of follow the headlines, but I thought it was interesting and figured it was worth mentioning just to, to have accountability for following the story. The, the other little item that I had is just to mention, um, just because I know the past couple of, of shows, uh, the audio has sounded a little bit different. I don't know how much of that actually comes through by the time I do the uh, compression and everything else. But I figured I would mention it in the, the bytes section that I have been troubleshooting a couple of different issues with audio devices. Seem to finally have them squared away and working the way they should and so uh, from this point forward hopefully there won't be some as much sporadicness in audio audio quality for those handful of people who might be able to pick it out and that's all i had for the the bites section Uh, you said you had a piece of follow-up you wanted to to go into well you know i'm gonna do i'm gonna i added my little bite i don't know if it's gonna sync before this but it was just a I read the article. It was a short article. It was about an unvaccinated man being denied a heart transplant by a Boston hospital. And that's uh, kind of like a normal thing. Um, it's the same reason why a smoker does is at the bottom of the list for a lung transplant. And a um, somebody who hasn't stopped drinking alcohol is at the bottom of the list for a liver transplant. They're not going to give the precious few organs that they have available to someone who's not going to take care of their body. And so one of the things about the, uh, the vaccine was that, uh, after a heart transplant, the immune system is almost non-functional and, uh, the vaccine is, would give a better chance of, uh, survival. So they are denying a heart transplant for a 31 year old man. Because he won't get the vaccine, and he's still refusing to get the vaccine. And when you when you sent the link, I scanned over it, and uh, my first thoughts went to that as well. I I didn't read if it explained it in the article or not, but I mean, same same thing that everybody has been saying for a while that has any shred of general knowledge pertaining to health and and medicine, and that's get the vaccines. Period. Yeah, yeah. If 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 you know, if you can do it, 
again, go talk to your uh, healthcare provider if you have any questions. Uh, as you have eloquently said, Jesse, uh, medical issue has a medical answer. Ask a medical professional. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, my uh, my follow up was a uh, correction to uh, a comment I made about. Um, I said last show that in Spectre, M uh, shows like his his military background and he's shooting some folks, and I was misremembering that a scene from the middle of Skyfall when they're in the, I you know courtroom it's not a courtroom then um uh, parliamentary chamber of some sort yeah yeah it was in uh, yeah in a, yeah so uh there's a, a shootout there and i was misremembering that from i was thinking of that and thinking that it was at the end of skyfall and it turns out that i'm oh, sorry at the end of specter and it's it's a scene in sort of in the middle of skyfall so i misremembered that uh i, I realized that I uh, I also had one piece of follow-up that I put as just other information in the notes, so I don't know if that synced, um, but it ties in more with the topic, so I'm going to wait and add it in as we go. Um, so with that, did, did we have anything else before we dive into No Time to Die? <clears throat> I don't see anything from you, so it'll be a surprise to me. I'm I'm ready to jump in. I have I if you haven't watched No Time to Die and you're at all interested in a James Bond movie, stop listening to us right now. Go watch the movie and uh listen to it or uh continue to listen to our podcast. Thank you. And um you will get the movie spoiled for you. Some people are okay with that. Yes. All right, so the, the one thing I wanted to go ahead, the, the piece of follow-up. Um, last show, you had asked or posed the question about uh, how I would feel if Bond were played by a female. I know, and, and I'm watching the movie, and I'm just like, ha, <laughs> yeah. ha, Yep. So I technically just took the very exceptionally well-done way they addressed that possibility with no time to die and gave that as my answer. Yeah. And so I'm just making sure I'm on the record is coming clean that that was not my original idea, but I wholeheartedly embraced it and it was the perfect way to do it. So I'll say this in, and I've said in the, in the other, you know, because I hadn't watched no time to die, you know, I kind of guessed that my second favorite bond, I can't even remember what I said. I think the world is not enough just because uh, that was the first one I saw in the theater, and um, now I'd, I'd, that gets bumped down to three because uh, it's not even three. Uh, I think I like Quantum of Solace more than I like uh, um, The World Is Not Enough. Anyway, um, yeah, the uh, No Time to Die is my second favorite Bond movie now, and I think it's as good as Casino Royale and maybe better. But because Casino Royale was first, it's still my favorite. Yeah, and so you know, I mentioned that if we took this one into account, it changed my answer there as well. Yeah, and I actually put Skyfall first because of the sentimental attachment to uh, Scotland. I mean, we talked about that some, and then No Time to Die second, 
with Casino Royale following up third. So even though I absolutely love Casino Royale, what really gets to me about No Time to Die, ranking it ahead of it, is how well done the female characters were and the fact that everything felt um, like it had a, a story and a purpose. You know, maybe I wanted more time done one way or another, or, or there was some aspect that was, I don't know, seemingly frivolous, but it still tied in really well to make the, the narrative cohesive, and I liked that quite a bit. I, I did as well, and I, I've, I've, I've certainly got my criticisms of the movie, but that was the thing that I thought, that, that was the thing that I was watching for the most, is how women are treated in this movie. And I think they got so much so right. Um, there's, yeah. Um, I think they got more things wrong with Bond than they did with the women in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, the best part about it is that they didn't look like they were trying. They didn't look like that they were uh, placating to uh, those that want to cancel Bond because he's a womanizer. It looked like they were like, hey, we actually know how to write strong female characters. And they did. And there's a variety, you know, there, and there's a variety in the strength of characters. You know, I don't think that, and it's been a while since I, I've seen the ending, but I, you know, I think that that is kind of overlooked with Quantum of Solace. I think Camille was a really strong female character, and I don't remember. There was no. They didn't. They didn't end up together. You know, they didn't end up together, did they? Bond and Camille. No. Yeah, I, I, I had to think, think about was, it for a moment. No. Yeah, I I remember when that came out, and I was like, oh, this is kind of refreshing, and I think that gets overlooked because I think, uh, I think Quantum of Solace gets overlooked quite often, and I think it's a better movie than um, it's credited for. Yeah, I, th I think part of why Quantum of Solace gets looked over is it doesn't feel as cohesive in the story if you go from Casino Royale through No Time to Die. I agree. And it's, yeah, it, there was like a, a semi-halfway reference to Spectre without it being Spectre. And if you back up and think about it as a learning experience, trying to understand... The, the opponent that's out there. Then you go from Casino Royale where you recognize something bigger at least exists and you don't really know the scope. And so you understand it a little bit better with Quantum and then Spectre actually comes full picture. You know, by the time you hit Skyfall, I think if you follow that, it makes a lot of sense. But at the time of release, it didn't. And that was the big thing that hurt Quantum. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, it ties up some loose ends from Casino Royale, but then it it feels like it's all together. I mean, yeah, it does have ties to Spectre, but it doesn't, it lacks that cohesion. Yeah. And I, it's one that I enjoy. I, I still go back and watch it occasionally. I mean, all of the Craig Bond films I watch more than once, you know, every couple of months or so. Um, they're just, I love going back to them. They're, overall, it is my favorite subset of the franchise. Uh, I think it's the best subset because, you know, they reset 
you know, and they, they, they set out to change Bond and they brought some things back. Um, and they, they, I wouldn't I won't even say that they paid homage, but they kept in line with certain things. So, uh, a lot of Bond villains have a physical oddity to them. Like they have some sort of physical oddity about their body. And I think they did that really well in the five Craig Bonds because they, 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 they're there. These audit, these, these physical oddities are there in the characters. And I think uh, quantum of solace has maybe it doesn't have one or it's pretty, pretty, there's one, but it's, it's a stretch. Anyway, um, they have them, they're there. It's like, I've never met a real person that looks like this or has this deformity or whatever, but they're not, they're not so unrealistic like in the previous Bond movies. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Um, it does. And the, the other thing that I like in general is that they don't try to make it outlandish. Um, yeah, the, the oddities or, or deformities or whichever, however way you want to view it, really fuel or, or tell some story about the character as well. It's not something that is uh, just a, an, a marking or an issue or something for the sake of there being one. You know, it, it's not like it's uh, uh, Trevian's scar from uh, Goldeneye, you know, that, that felt like it was just to make sure he had some type of physical marking. Right, right. Yeah, you know, they... I think so. I think um, I'm trying to remember the character's name from Quantum of Solace. It's the uh, it's uh, Dominic Green's his the guy that's with him often. Yeah, I I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember his name. Like his physical oddity was his just his weird um, his weird hairpiece. It was. It up, I think there's a point where it falls off of his head. I guess I looked it up. His character's name is Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that that's ever said in the movie or not, but I don't, I don't uh, think so. I don't recall it, but like he had this weird hair piece and then inspector, uh, David Batista's character. I think he had like metal fingernails. His fingernails look weird at some point in the movie. And so there's a, you know, he's a big, also a really big dude. So those two things are really subdued and, but they're there. And, uh, well, maybe not. Um, Madeline's father. So by the time you Mr. get White, to, yeah. yeah, by the time you get to him being, having quote unquote left Spectre and is more emaciated and like obviously physically different. Yeah. Um, but in a way that, that shows just how much of a toll things have taken on him in general you know as a result of the stress and anxiety and hiding and, and everything yep and blofeld is his he was maimed in that explosion at the end of specter right and i think i think one of the most interesting ones was silva in skyfall you you don't see it until like way later in the movie and i thought that was like oh nice so I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good re reinvention of a 
what uh, uh, something that has become iconic to Bond films. Yeah, I I agree, and I like the fact that the they went back to less of a focus on gadgets, um, which had become a a very prominent focus during the uh, Moore and Dalton and uh, Brosnan era. Yeah, so you know, I read something today. There were uh, um, Tomorrow Never Dies had lots and lots of gadgets because people were missing the gadget. You know, there was, I guess, uh, some sort of you know, there was feedback that there weren't enough gadgets in Goldeneye. Because if you think about Gold, like I think Goldeneye is one of the best pre pre Craig Bond movies. So there weren't all. There weren't a lot of gadgets in that movie, and um, the feedback was that there weren't enough gadgets, and so they put tons of gadgets in Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, it's um, it's been an interesting set of trends. You know, if you just look at each grouping of the films and compare them to each subsequent following grouping, like what what stays, what gets emphasized. Yeah, that that was one of the things that I liked about um, about the Craig Bond movies. It's like you know, even in Casino Royale, it's like there's a lot of dependency on cell phones, and it's like I see how the cell phones are used, and it's like I know some of this stuff is far fetched, but I'm like, but is it if you have the backing of your you know, oh, one of the wealthiest countries in the world's um, government? You know, the defense spending there is probably, you know, it's, it's nothing like the United States, but I'm sure it's sizable. And I'm sure there are some cool things, you know, that they have developed and that they use. So it's like, it's really easy for me to believe that, you know, there are certain things that they can do with their cell phones that I can't. And so I like, I do think that the dependency on the on the smartphone is is utilized well for the movies. It just, it fits right into what was there. And it actually makes a lot of what they're doing more believable. Yeah, I, I would agree. It actually, um, not to, to derail the conversation, but it made me think of another article that I had seen recently. Um, have you seen in the woman who used an air tag and discovered a uh, branch of a secret intelligence agency in Germany or, or something to that effect? No. <laughs> um, I'll I'll find the link and send it to you but it was basically there was some reference to a telecommunications service or, or something and nobody seemed to have any kind of contact information for it so the lady mailed an air tag to them and it got delivered to a, a building that was very much removed from where it should have been delivered to and eventually found out that it was a, a branch off of an intelligence agency or, or something to that effect. Whoa. Um, but the reason it made me think of it is because, you know, we, we don't often, we being Americans, don't often give European countries enough credit for their capabilities and what they can do. Um, because we outspend them for the most part. But there there are a lot of really intelligent people 
everywhere. And there's no telling what types of technologies they've been able to come up with individually or in, at times in conjunction with other countries' uh, interests and you know, joint efforts. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I don't, you know, I didn't learn this until well into my, I guess in my thirties, I learned it's like the, you know, that you hear in the United States, we learned that the United, the, the, um, the entrance of the United States military into World War II is what turned the tide around. But um, I have since learned, or what turned the, the course of the war changed because of the addition or the entrance of the United States. But what I didn't hear, what really changed the course of the war is that there were, there was a significant amount of intelligence that was snuck out of the, the UK and delivered to the United States. And the United States manufactured things that were developed in the UK by UK scientists and engineers. So it was, it was that's actually credited with the changing of the war is not just the United States military joining, but rather the, the manufacturing abilities that we had in the United States to, to be able to manufacture things that were designed in Europe. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, I I don't want to take that tangent. So what (laughs) instead I will, uh, Airmark as a follow-up topic is um, the the way we are taught many things about international relations in the U.S. That I think that's vague enough to to be a reminder. And before I forget, I'll go ahead and, and put it in notes. But I don't want to interject right in the middle of the the no time to die conversation and that type of tangent you know i'd yeah. rather come back yeah. to that in a, another show yeah yeah it's it, 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 you know easily said those at the top are feeding those the rest of us you know u.s propaganda the u.s is feeding the u.s prop the u.s u.s propaganda so i guess that's typically how it works anyway um or it's half of the ways that, it, that half of the instances of it so um i don't think uh I'm not sure what I want to like really focus on here uh, or like th- what's the big thing for me. Like I I, th- I don't think I said, an, I think I said everything I wanted to say about how women were portrayed in this movie. Um, well, I, I want to come back to that briefly. Um, what did you think of uh, Paloma? So when she first, when she's first on screen, I'm like, okay, am I ready to cringe here? Like, is is how Bond, how they've written Bond to treat her, is it going to be something that I'm like, oh, that's cringy? Or you know, that's what I was like, actually. I that's it, I, it wasn't even a question. I'm just like, this might be cringy because um, you see her, she's. She plays a fresh new agent really well. Like it's very believable how she's portrayed, and she's in a slinky dress, like no back to it. So it's just like, but it's in the right setting for that type of dress. And then she does what she does, 
she uh, she gets Bond to where he needs to go. She assists him, like because she was there to assist him. And I loved how she was portrayed in that movie. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I, I'm you know I want to watch this movie with um, with Becca just to get her opinion. Like I'm I'm a man trying to look at this movie through the female gaze and 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 get an idea of how what do women how do how would a woman see her being her portraying um or her character portrayed to i you know to show like this is a strong woman and i think they did really well um there was one point where she's driving some some uh like uh 50s uh sedan and there's a point where she gets out of the driver's seat and I'm like, if Bond gets in the driver's seat and they take and she gets in the passenger seat and they drive away, I'm like, fuck it. Um, that's that that ruins it for me. But no, she was getting out of the driver's seat to abandon the car. I'm like, ha. Oh. So I loved how she was portrayed. Yeah, I I thought everything about the character was great. Um Emily enjoyed the character. I th- the biggest problem f- for her character for me is that I wanted more. Yeah. Which, yeah. which isn't a problem. I mean, that to me, that is uh, kind of the, the hallmark of a phenomenal supporting character is that you become vested in them for the short time that you're exposed to them. Um, let's have a spinoff series, please. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, and she's I, I excellent. I want to follow her development now uh, from you know, the early early stages of being an agent and having a interesting mission with Bond and seeing how that plays into future character development on that side. One of my favorite actors that uh, tends to take strong female lead roles is Jessica Chastain. And if she can do, uh, you know... Before watching this, I thought, oh, you know, if she could do a good uh, British accent, she could be a good Bond. Like, she could be a good, like, let's have, or or she could be a good 007. And so, um, um, I think Nomi was really good for that role. But it just, it like, watching Paloma, uh, it was like, oh, this is, like, this is worthy of like I think this would be a character that like a just a Jessica Chastain could play as well like she could you know so if you do like uh, the actress that played Paloma she's also in Knives Out um, if you haven't seen that movie recommend it yeah very good movie okay so uh, yeah so I thought Nomi was great and I thought uh, the way they introduced her was really really fun um the line where he's like, I didn't expect that to be the first thing for you to take off was great. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, it's like, I, I felt like they did a good job of like, I saw her the way he saw her. And it's like, oh, I got tricked too. I, I'm not so sure. All right. So let, let's back up before I make that statement. How did you feel like he initially saw her? I didn't, you know, when they showed the character, I just thought it was going to be, that was just a passing hit, like an extra. I thought she was just an extra. Like the the first interaction that she has with Bond, I thought she was an extra. And then when he takes her home, I'm like, mm, 
Okay, not necessarily, you know, maybe just like a uh, like a small part and not even a supporting character, but just like a small part to be opposite of Bond. And then when they're like, oh, you find out that Nomi is um, now the agent that is is 007, I thought, oh, um, it's like it's one of those things where I feel like the 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 movie makers were saying hey you know what this could be anybody so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have this we're gonna have this agent that you know portrayed as the exact opposite this is a this is a black woman double zero seven is now a black woman and um whereas he it's he's always been a white man so um and and i i guess what i was asking more is now that I've thought about it, when, in, as you were watching it, when did you think he figured out who she was? Not necessarily that she was 007, but that she was an agent. Probably in that moment. When she takes off the wig? Like, right after that. All right, so, like, for me, I was thinking the initial encounter was, like, a moment of interest. And then when he notices the vehicle has been tampered with and she's the one that shows up. Oh, yeah. I don't know that he knew she was from MI6, but I do think that at that point there was, this is a player of some sort. Let's see where it goes. I'm willing to ex- I'm willing to think that's more likely the case than what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm more like I'm probably like I'm not I'm I'm not an agent and it was like when they said that she was an agent that's when I knew that she was an agent when it was explicitly <laughs> stated cuz you know like oh, I'm a dumb guy. <laughs> well, the only reason I make the distinction and the reason I wanted to draw it out a little bit is because when I was watching it the first time when I first the her introduction was interesting it's like okay either passing interest or maybe a you know this is this movie's bond girl who knows but then the way craig's mannerisms portrayed a recognition of some sort at the vehicle and then her being the one to show up again like i immediately went to this is at least a person of interest maybe from a agency maybe not you know I, I had no clue on what and so I felt like there was at least a this person is not who it seems and I want to know more so let's play along with it so that when they get to his house he was already at least assuming there was going to be a reveal but he didn't know how it was going to happen which would include the bit of surprise about not being sure or not reckon, thinking that would be the first thing that got taken off you know yeah um and i could have read more into it than was meant as well but just that seemed like the logical progression to me as i watched it i don't think you did i think i was just like you know taking things at face value. <laughs> but I did like the way they do her reveal completely. Um, yeah. It just, okay. it, it was just quippy enough or, or quippy is not the right word. Just focused enough on what verbiage was used in what way 
to really make a point that she she is formidable without having to really have time on screen to display that. And then you get to see more of that as you go instead of having to have that built up beforehand. Yeah. So I don't think this particular actor would be one to carry on uh, these movies, but I, guess, I think she's a supporting actor. But I just like the they like I think I like that they put out the ideas like we can make Bond whoever we want. Well, so, let's, I'm going to correct you. You can make okay. Double Who Seven whoever you want. So yeah, I'm going to use those interchangeably. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> but I'm going to continually mention it because I think that's where the value is. I think and you're right. And I'll be, uh, you know, that, I think that's a fair thing to be more mindful of on my part. And, you know, they could very well have Bond with a, a name change and have a female role, but it just, that feels more like it's pandering than just saying, nope, completely new name. Here's the 007 that you get this film. Right. So the thing, how it works out into their favor is that it's the movie's not ever called James Bond. Right. There, it's not like James Bond and no time. James Bond has no time to die or uh, James Bond reads tomorrow never dies or James Bond knows that diamonds are forever. It's never that it's, you know, it's never Harry Potter. You know, it's always Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows or and the, uh, so it's it's the franchise can can exist without the character James Bond. Well, and and the other big thing is that we know he's 007. It's mentioned semi-often over the course of the, the film history, but how often does he use it? it it's pretty rare that he says yeah. he's 007. It's always somebody else mentioning it. I, you know, the... I mean, does he even say that in GoldenEye? I don't even think he says it in GoldenEye when he's talking to 009, Trevelyan. I, I think Trevelyan says it, but I, I don't recall Bond being the one to say it. Like the, the most recent occurrence that comes to mind is actually when, uh, in Skyfall, when he says 007 reporting for duty. Ah, uh, yeah. And prior to that, I don't actually recall him being the one to introduce himself as 007. Uh, like I can't, th- I, I can't think, I wouldn't have even recalled Skyfall. And, you know, there's talk of him becoming a licensed to kill agent at the very beginning of Casino Royale. Because uh, the second, his second kill, before he makes that kill, he's like, oh, um. He says you have to have two kills. He's like, I was only aware of the one, and it's cle- you know it's a clever bit of writing because then he's like, yeah, you're the second. Yeah, and uh, I, during that entire exchange, if I remember correctly, all of it was just uh, promotion to a double O double O status, that kind of thing. I don't recall a, a definitive double O seven reference. Mm, nope, it's just. Uh, people around him refer to him that way so that i do think that m M probably says it the most yes yeah and i i do think that's one of my few complaints with no time to die i thought it was clever 
when uh, Nomi reveals she was 007. And I thought it was clever for Bond to have his 00 status um, reinstated and there be a question about, you know, what number. But then it was repeated. And that repetition started to make it feel like it was trying to really hammer the message home. That's the one time that I kind of broke from just the enjoyment and viewing of the film. Is it egregious? No. Does it lend itself to the character based on everything we've known up to that point? Yes, it it actually does. So it's it's not bad, strange, etc., but that was the one instance that I did feel kind of maybe that's overdone now. I agree with you. I think it's it's one of those conversations that yes, that would actually that would actually come up again in real life. But this is a movie, and it doesn't need to come up again. It's um, it's the you know movies uh, portray life, the most exciting parts of life, and they rarely portray the boring parts of life. Or at least this you know this kind of movie. It's it's just it's kind of trite. It was funny though because they never answered what double O number yeah. he was reinstated as. Yeah, and then. Um, I was going to say, I thought the most clever part about it was when M asked uh, to ask for double, uh, ask for double O seven to be brought in and you're <laughs> thinking, and you're thinking it's bond and it's not bond. Yeah. That was, that was, I, and while we're talking about people's, you know, names and so forth, I like that you actually, cause in, I think it's in Casino Royale, uh, bond says, is either Casino Royale or Spectre? Bond says, you know, it was Casino Royale. He says to M, he's like, I didn't know that M stood for your, you know, he said something to the effect of he did not knowing that M actually stood for your name. And, and then in No Time to Die, he calls M Mallory. Yeah. And, uh, the, the reference, the, the first one was with Judy Dench and he, uh, she asks him how he, found her address i think yes yes and he broke into her house same way he found out that what him what her first name was or what him stood for (laughs) yeah Uh, and he said he always thought it was uh just a randomly assigned letter yeah he didn't realize it stood for and then she interrupts him and says utter one more syllable and i'll have you killed (laughs) and i love that interchange it's the only reason i know it so well (laughs) judy dench was brilliant she really was i i i terribly miss her as M, even though I have to give uh, Fines credit. He he plays a good M as well. He does. He's, 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 he was, he's, he is an acceptable uh, replacement for her. Like, uh, uh, and a, yeah. So, well, I, I feel like acceptable is not, is not good enough. He's more than acceptable. It's just really tough to follow Judy Dench when she really made the role just her own. You know, she she absolutely nailed everything that she needed to nail to play that character. I feel a bit sexist in not saying that Judy Dench has been like one of the best strong female roles in the Bond movie since Goldeneye. She that was her first that was her first her first portrayal of M was in Goldeneye, which is really interesting because, you know, you have all those 
you know, mediocre, you know, or run of the mill Bond movies um, from 95 through 2002. And she's M, you know, she, she was M. And she actually carries over into the complete reboot of the, of the care of the story. And I thought that was, it's really interesting. Well, I, I think that also speaks to the quality of her, both portrayal and, and character, like her persona on screen. You know, the the way she she truly the began, way she brought M to life. Yeah, she truly began to shine as M in once they rebooted the the franchise. Yeah, the. Um, I think the only other thing that I would specifically mention or want to bring up in the conversation that we haven't touched on is I did see you added a note about having a tough time accepting a love for both Vesper and uh, Madeline. Yeah. And I I didn't have that issue. So I was I just wanted to, to make it a point of discussion just to understand better because I, I find that interesting. Because for me, I I see Vesper as more of that catalyst for an emotional change in Bond with the way they used that character in Casino Royale to really propel his trajectory. And then I see Madeleine as kind of the opposite of that as his as his character matured or as Bond matures and has taken on this, um, uh, I'm not going to say a softer essence, but more awareness of maybe his internal desires and interactions and, and feelings toward. He has more depth. Right. Um, and so I, I see her as kind of a catalyst for that. And I think that's why I don't have issues with it, but I can also, I can understand why it would be difficult to take Bond and accept him developing more than maybe one serious attachment at all. And so I, I just wanted to open the floor to that you know, piece of the conversation. Yeah, I really, yeah, I do really wanted to talk about it. So I feel like the woman that Bond probably loves the most is M and you know that's because you know she 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 groomed him and I bring that up first because it leads me into the, the, the idea that he was he is one that is not uh, trusting he is one that's uh, his his character is one that is uh, doesn't easily trust. He should be suspicious. Then on top of that, he has, you know, we'll say the highest quality of international spy training. And so I had a problem with maybe how the dialogue was written between him and Vesper. You know, they they had like a month or something together. So Vesper is easy to be like, she's playing Bond. She's using Bond to, to as a, a means to an end. So I don't have any problem with that side of it. But how did he not see this coming? Like, I don't believe him being so in love that he completely missed 
how he was being played by her. So I have a problem with that. And if they portrayed it as like this is just a fling and, you know, we're infatuated with one another because we're beautiful people and, you know, we're, you know, jet setting across Europe. Yeah, that's easy. But then you think then I think like that would be easy to write in a book and explain it that way. And then maybe when she dies, he realizes that he felt more for her. But the only way to have portrayed it in the movie in a way that wasn't, I don't know, awkward was for them to talk about being in love with one another. But for me, that was awkward and I just, I didn't buy it. Um, I think that if they had, they could have portrayed how he felt about her as something that he realized after she dies would have been better. Like when he goes after Mr. White at the end of, at the very end of Casino Royale, that's like he's out for blood and it's somewhat personal. Like he's got a job to do, but it's somewhat, you know, it's somewhat personal for him. Like I think that was a better portrayal of how he felt about Vesper than the dialogue that he had with Vesper. Yeah, I I certainly agree on the dialogue point. I want to back up to the, the first piece with M. Um, Bond is an orphan. Right and and M is the the mother figure that he either unconsciously longs to have, or uh, maybe on some level is aware of the role that she is still fulfilling, even if it's not actually a a motherly role. And we get references to that throughout as well so i that's not a at all a, a stretch yeah he references it to camille uh silver references it to him it's 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 where you know it's it's a dyna- it, you know it's a they the the you know the movie makers want you to know that's she's his mother and right for all intents and purposes and then moving to the relationship with vesper i think they tried to portray it in a way that makes it more more along the lines of what you're describing but they weren't sure how to compress it to convey that in the single film right like like i said in a book it would be easy to portray well and and the other thing is if you if you think about the follow-up to that in quantum I think it was in Quantum when, um, oh, what's his name? The the older guy that uh, he recruits to the the one that he thought was Mathis. the leak Mathis. Yes, um, when Mathis tells him that she died for him, you know they they're attempting to re-emphasize that he is still struggling with understanding exactly what their relationship was. It's fleeting, but it's there. And then uh, I think it was at the the beginning of, it may have been at the end of Casino, uh, beginning of Quantum, the the scene where uh, Bond has gone to visit Vesper's boyfriend and M. Uh, confronts him after the fact and he drops the necklace in the snow. You remember that scene? I don't think that's in Casino Royale. Yeah, I was thinking it was in Quantum, but I yeah, I because... haven't watched Quantum in a bit. But it, 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 if I remember correctly, that's 
toward the beginning of quantum. It's got to be in, it's got to be somewhere in quantum because the there's discussions about her boyfriend like in quantum there's a whole thing about how they found a body in right the water, and in the water, the water and of hair and, and all yeah, that stuff. And, yeah. and he's like, "Oh yeah, I wouldn't expect her to be sentimental." Or and 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 the body that they found, you know, just very uh, co- uh, conveniently had identification. So that actually that would put the scene at the end of Quantum, not the, not the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah, and, and and now that we're talking about it, that actually I can visualize it better as well. Um, but like that, taking what we learned in Casino and adding to it a little bit with Quantum felt more like what they were trying to get to was that he was reconciling with himself what that relationship really was in the wake of not being certain, like in the moment thinking he loved her, then thinking he was completely fooled and just being used and betrayed. You know, there, there's a lot in that relationship to unpack. And it felt like with Quantum, they were trying to say, it's still a murky picture, and he's he's struggling with it, and this is going to be a, a piece of the character that you probably want to pay attention to, because there's it, it sets the stage for multiple different references later and then we get all of those references in no time to die for sure uh, in the the opening sequence when they're uh, when he and madeline are, are talking through or i guess they're not actually talking through but when the when the story is taking us through both of them having some sort of baggage that they're they have not revealed to the other Right, and, and and she tells him, you're going to have to deal with that if you think this relationship is going to go any further. And I thought that was like a really great piece of writing. I thought that was great, a great, uh, very, um, a totally, not just believable, but like a, a relatable uh, dynamic that occurs in a relationship. Like we, you know, we have past relationships and depending on how those past relationships end, if there's not a certain kind of closure, like with the death of someone, um, yeah, that has to be dealt with for the next relationship to be successful. And I thought that was like a really, that was really great. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's some few things that I could pick at as, as complaints with the way they, the writers handled the film. I, I might have some complaints on delivery and execution, but I I can't think of anything from an overall story perspective that I could nitpick on with what the writers were trying to convey. Yeah, I think so. I think if you think about it, if you think about it as you know, with if you put Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace together, ex- it's just an execution issue. Um, if you just watch Casino Royale, I have a problem with how quickly Bond falls in love with Vesper. It doesn't fit the character. Um, it, 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 it actually feels like the, the writers are saying one thing for this, you know, uh, remember that Bond is an untrustworthy, you know, he's untrusting, he's an untrusting per, uh, individual. 
when it suits them. And then he's like, well, but he, he will fall in love with a, with a beautiful woman uh, at the snap of a finger because it that helps us over here at this part of the story. And it just feels sloppy. And, but it's, you know, now that you, you know, through discussion, I can see how it's reconcilable. Now it's just a, an execution issue. So, but the other thing I was going to say is I felt like Madeline fell in love with Bond too quickly. Like it, that didn't seem believable to me either at the end of Spectre. Yeah, I, I need to rewatch Spectre. I haven't rewatched it recently enough for it to be fresh in mind. Um, I don't recall really having anything jump out at me that I was seeming like it was wrong. But at the same time, one of the things that I have unconsciously done with the Bond films is I've just kind of suspended the sense of time because the the films are so far apart and there are a lot of elements that could be, you know, two or three days, could be two or three weeks. It's it's tough to really nail down how much time has supposedly transpired between certain pieces. And so I kind of apply this blanket, uh, just suspension of concerning myself with time through Bond films. And I, I know I do it, and I'm not saying it's an appropriate thing to do necessarily, I'm just saying that a lot of times I won't pick up on a timing thing because I've noticed I do that with the Bond films. Right. So this is totally an execution for me because like how they are at the beginning of No Time to Die, totally believable because who knows how much time has passed between their meeting versus where they, you know, uh, uh, visiting Italy. I think I think that was Italy where her. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know, you know, what is, it's, it's just the, the, yeah, I I think there's an execution problem there. Whereas uh, an example, uh, Strawberry Fields in Quantum of Solace, that was like, you know, they hook up and you can tell that like, this is just a hookup and the only remorse bond has was like he feels bad that she was tortured and 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 murdered uh, uh because they were trying to get information out of her about him like he doesn't have remorse for like he doesn't you know he doesn't like oh i was in love with her or had any sort of like romantic feelings towards her he just feels remorse that somebody died on his behalf like as anyone would cuz he's not he's not a monster so it's like I felt like that was accurately portrayed. I guess it's easier to portray than falling in love, but I th- yeah, Doctor Swan fell in love with Bond too quickly for me. The I, I didn't have anything else to follow up on that other than um, what I said anyway. But I, I remembered that you had put another note that I want to double back to, and that's the seduction of. Solange. Uh, yes, thank you. I can remember the the first name. Uh, in uh, in Casino Royale, you, you mentioned that that made sense not to you now. Yeah. Oh, I mean that that always made sense to me. I thought that was like that. So you know, Bond's a beautiful man. He he 
Um, he's got a mark. Uh, I can't remember what his name was. It Dominique? No, that was what was uh, the guy he what? he wins his yeah, the guy Martin. that he wins the Aston Martin from. Yeah, um, it's gonna bother me to not know his name. <laughs> um, Demetrius, I knew it was a D name. Uh, Demetrius was his name. Um, it makes to- it makes total sense that uh, uh, he sees his beautiful wife, and um, he's going to go to her, and he's going to get some information of her by seducing her. Like the there was, you know, he doesn't he didn't actually sleep with her. He left her to go to Miami, and right. that just seems like like not a, like that seems like what like that just feels like it's. So it, uh, it fits the character. It fits the character. Same thing. Strawberry Fields, like that hookup, it fits the character, uh, especially because he's, he's probably, you know, um, internally mourning the loss of Vesper at that point. So it fits the character. It also fits the, the idea of a spy trying to get information. Yes. I think it's using, more that than using anything the methods. else. Yeah. Yeah. Where, but I the mean, one that... Go ahead. I was going to say the one that doesn't fit for me is uh, Monica Bellucci's character in um, Spectre. Her name was Lucia. Yeah, the the widow. Yep. Like that scene was just like it just should have been dia- like it should have been dialogue. Like the I I didn't I felt like that didn't like. It wasn't the same as how he seduced Solange. It just didn't. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I might be off on this, but it just it seems so weird. I mean, even the fact you know, like totally believable. She doesn't love her husband. She's staying with her husband because I think it's Sicaria. She's staying with her husband because it's the only way to stay alive. Well, and I would say it's it's more that it afforded her a certain amount of. That freedom and power without having to have any concern. Yeah. Yeah. So, but just like there, I don't know. There, there is a way that that could that could that hookup could have happened and been portrayed slightly differently. So this it's probably an execution thing for me. There's a way that it could have been. It just it seemed gratuitous to me. Like it wasn't. There was nothing. Yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't something that was needed for the story. You know, it, him going there was needed, but the the lack of needing something from her at that point it was it was all just basically keeping her alive, and then uh, for the most part, sending her to some safe place theoretically, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. It it didn't move the story the way the other interactions did, right? Um, and then the other one was like, uh, I feel I missed to overlook uh, the interactions between Bond and Moneypenny, where Moneypenny used to be someone that he made what we would now consider sexual harassment joke, you know, jokes that would be considered sexual harassment around. Um, Moneypenny was a, a colleague and equal. He, uh, he treated her the way men should treat women in the workplace, and I 
I think that's you know they had a, a a good working relationship, and I think that was I think that that I don't think I don't think we give that enough credit or it goes far enough in our minds, at least personally. I th- I think that it's it's a little more nuanced than that as well because there's still definitive sexual tension between them. You know, the, you have the the shaving scene, for instance, where it feels more like almost like Money Penny is driving the the tension to see how Bond will react. Um. As far as that scene, but you you back up even further, and you've got more the the jokes and the you know the, for lack of better phrasing, the sex, potential sexual harassment claim you know type of of statements. What I think they did a good job of doing is showing that there's a, a an interpersonal side that the two of them are comfortable with that is the basis of a a fairly strong working relationship. They just didn't do a good job of showing the strong working relationship a bit sooner. You know, you know, I forgot about that shaving scene. Um, and I think maybe it's, it's one of those things where they might've portrayed, Hey, there's sexual tension here. And you know what they thought, you know, there was a little something like, you know, they were, you know, it's not sexual harassment because they were both, you know, it was consensual and among both parties. And so, but then you see it sort of all stops after that shaving scene. I don't, again, Skyfall is the one I, it's been the longest since I've seen. Um, so I don't remember exactly, but the way they interact in, there's, I feel like there's, there's, that sexual tension is gone in Spectre and No Time to Die. And I think it's like, hey, we could have had something here, but it's probably better that we don't because we're professionals and we're going to continue working with one another. And that's just something we're just not going to pursue. And then they have a good, you know, they have a, uh, a professional relationship. And, and you know, actually some personal as well. They, you know, but it's still... It becomes non-sexual. Yeah, and and that was that was how I felt about the relationship. If you take the entire series of movies together, and I, the point that I, or the one piece that I was getting at was when we're introduced to Money Penny. There's nothing in that first film that. F- really felt like it established a a peer relationship appropriately. And I feel like it could have benefited more from at least a scene or two that emphasized that instead of the historical just sexual innuendos left and right type of, of interactions that previous Bonds and Money Pennies have had. And so I get that part of that is also, you know, this is the type of relationship that's been established. We want to change it, but we don't want to just completely throw it out the window because it's semi-traditional and, and something that uh, is semi-central to the character of Bond. Again, my only real complaint about it is that 
it took us until Spectre and No Time to Die to get an inkling of the actual professional relationship instead of the interpersonal tension. Yeah, well, it's like it 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 became you get it at the very end of Skyfall. It became professional. It became only professional and maybe some friendly some there's some friendship level of friendship there once she was no longer in the field. Yeah, fair enough. But that that's basically that's basically the end of Skyfall. It's like, like the last scene of Skyfall. Well, she was out in the field before that. Yeah, but he hadn't been back to the office. More, more or less. Yeah, like, that's right. Like the events had to, you know, the, basically events of the movie. Like, no, she hadn't settled into that until the end of the movie. And then we see Money Penny as we ex- had always seen Money Penny. I thought it was a great introduction to the character. Yeah, I, I mean, overall, I thought they did a, a really good job with it. It just, you know, it, it would have been nice to see more of the way the characters were written in No Time to Die a little bit earlier in the franchise. And I also, I want to make sure I emphasize that this is perfect character growth and development over the course of films, right? It's, it's, I'm not trying to make this sound negative at all from, from that standpoint. It's just that once you see what we get to, you kind of wish you had seen a little more of it. That, that's all that the point that I'm really trying to make. Should we talk about uh, the big spoilers? Sure. I don't mind. I was sad when Felix died. I, I was too. I've always like, liked Felix. Yeah. yeah. I th- and I think uh, Jeffrey something. Jeffrey, 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 Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright's something. Loved him, like I loved his introduction as Felix in Casino Royale, and I, I, I thought it was great, best Felix for sure. Um, and was sad, sad when he passed, when uh, his character, you know, was killed. Um, I knew the entire time Madeline was lying about um, his daughter. Oh yeah. Hundred percent knew her daughter, no doubt, the whole time. And there's there was just like there was a moment, maybe a short amount of time, where I thought maybe he could retire and be a dad. And uh, when the uh, when the uh, missile the the blast doors close, I was like, no, no, um, that's that's. You know, think about all the reasons why he couldn't do that. And it was sad. And I think this is the first time they've ever killed James Bond. It's it's the first time that I know of that they've actually killed Bond. I mean, you had the, uh, the one instance where they faked his death and then it was revealed on the submarine that you know, they unzip a body bag and he... Uh, actually alive and that kind of thing um like there's no you know he died yeah yeah and in in this one there there's no semblance of 
he escaped or is going to be alive in a future installment if they follow you know chronologically he's gone that that's it well we knew this was the last craig bond movie so right but like i don't like, go ahead like but he's like you know james bond is dead <laughs> i um i don't think that it's going to be the last bond i i think they'll go back and do something outside the the scope of these films like they did with these films i think there'll be another reboot at some point where you'll have another james bond and they'll tell whatever subset of stories but this story arc so going from casino royale through no time to die very clearly was trying to tell the entire story of bond from creation of his uh, iconic 007 status to his ending and i i kind of feel like future films that focus on bond are going to do similar arcs i i it feels like this sets the stage for all right this is how the franchise moves forward is we can pick different stories doesn't you know there's plenty of things to, to pick from but when we do them we'll do anything from one to a handful of films that tell whatever story arc that we want to tell those can be self-contained and then we can do the next set and it doesn't necessarily have to be bond every time either as we've already talked about now that may just be that this particular set did that but i feel like that's the template for continuing the franchise as well we have a number of different ways set up for you to get in touch with us to provide feedback, ask questions, or just comment in about something we've discussed. You can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at untitled underscore hosts, or shoot an email over to untitled.hosts at gmail.com. Or get in touch directly with jesse at jtheart.com, or get in touch with me, John, via telepathy. If you would like to support our work, or are interested in listening to our new after-show feed, head over to patreon.com slash theuntitledpodcast and take a look at the options we have set up. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And we hope to connect with more of you as we continue this journey. That's a wrap.